0: let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we're asking, dear Lord, that you become more real to us this morning. I thank you for the deep faith that is in this room right now. But Lord God, we need to know how present you are in our lives and what this means for us. So show us the truth, especially about the widow's mite passage. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. We've had in the last, I would say, 10 days or so, one community memorial service that was given through McComas Funeral Home. And it was a time of mourning and a time of reflection about people we loved. And then last Sunday was All Saints Sunday, Where we were brought into awareness of the people that have gone home to be with the Lord this past year. And then there were two um, celebrations of the resurrection. In other words, funeral services for two wonderful, and I do mean wonderful, men who have been part of this congregation. So we have been kind of aware of, and our hearts have been open to, the whole idea about heaven. Especially that's what I have experienced. It's interesting when you go through something like this with loss and bring it to the Lord, you grow closer to the Lord and you see things that maybe we don't ordinarily see. But heaven is the topic once again in Hebrews. And heaven and what lies beyond, it crosses our minds a lot. And today's passage from Hebrews, and I'm using both the epistle and the gospel, gives us culminating, lingering thoughts that are so hopeful about the afterlife. In Hebrews, Christ is entering heaven. And it says, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself to appear for us in God's own presence. He is the ultimate advocate who comes and makes a case for us. And all we have to do is in our hearts make a case for him. He's saying that through him we can belong to eternity And heaven is not a copy of earth. It's sort of the other way around. Sometimes on earth we get just fragments or glimpses of what is to come, of an eternal promise. But heaven and earth are not the same. It is something better. We catch glimpses. In heaven, every tear will be wiped away. And beauty will have such a force that it has a weight and love will be solid not porous and iffy the way humans love on earth we love but the solid love of God is something completely different we can't imagine it we're bound up in earthly limitations but people are kind of scared about heaven honest people Wondering, will there be things about this life that will be missed? We'll be whole. So technically, it's not possible for anything to be missed. Because we miss things, we yearn for things, we ache for things when we are not whole. But we still wonder. And this is something, believe it or not, that I hear all the time. This is something that I hear, and I've got a reason for talking about it. Will there be animals in heaven? I bring this up for a reason, because of people's complete and total devotion to their pets. And I'm not being judgmental, because I hate to tell you how much money I spend on the vet bills for two cats. But it always gets my attention when we have visitors from Kenya Partnership who are amazed that we treat pets as family members. And it's not an option in rural Kenya Animals serve a purpose. Dogs guard the house. Cats take care of rats. And when they no longer can perform their tasks, they're not around. But but Kenyan animals, and this is my point, are treated better than segments of biblical society in Jesus' time. Jesus insisted that all human life is of great incalculable, that's hard to say, value. And he was quite radical about this. And he elevated all humanity in a way that has been unprecedented. And his message is embrace human worthiness. Basic human worthiness, meaning that we are worthy to be forgiven. Not that we're perfect, that we are worthy no matter what the estrangement has been between us and God. No matter what we have done that we are ashamed of. No matter what, we are worthy, completely worthy to be forgiven. And the pathway to heaven is a straight path right into the heart of God. A path that has everything to do with loving creation and yes of course loving the animals loving each other loving oneself but most importantly loving God and receiving the sacrificial love of Christ his love is for you his love is for me and it's the other side of the very thin coin to say, well, he loves the world, but does he love me personally? Don't we get it that he has to love us very, very, very intimately in order to love the entire universe? It's the same thing for someone who is not confined by time and space. The account of the widow's might: she was not valued She was not an honored part of her community. She had outlived her usefulness in the societal structure of that day. And furthermore, the religious rulers of the day exhibited this cruel neglect of poor people, and they disregarded whole segments of the population, Like, for instance, women. (laughs) Watch for these rulers, Jesus said. They walk around in flowing robes to be noticed in the marketplace. They have the most important seats in the synagogue and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and make a show of lengthy prayers. And then a statement about what is to come. And I hate this. Because I don't, we don't preach punishment, hellfire, and damnation. We don't. We preach grace. We preach truth. But Jesus says these rulers will be punished severely. And he's not talking about here and now. Although that might happen too. Because they were too focused on themselves to see anyone else and were very astonishingly and hopelessly judgmental. They judged people's ability to be keepers of the rules. They carried rules, rules, rules in their souls. And they were judging constantly, were people measuring up, were people um, doing it right? Were people proper? Were people correct? And the love of God was not within them. And I like to think at times that I'm so free from this judgmental thing, but none of us are. The question is do we know it? I was with my brother and his family, and I <laughs> was staying with him. And this is such a stupid thing, but it says everything. I opened up the linen closet and all the bath towels were just thrown in there. And I'm thinking, boy, did they grow up in the same house I did? Because we learned to fold the bath towels properly and they had to line up, and they had to line up according to color. Isn't that the right way? (laughs) And so I said to my brother, I said, look at this. And he said, oh, no, the unloving thing would be to not let the kids wash the towels. They're learning and they're doing it, and it's got to be the way it is. And I said, oh, the right thing was to let the kids wash the towels. Who cared what they looked like in the cupboard? But we all have these things. That's part of recognizing our own sinful nature. The difference between us and those rulers is that they didn't know they were doing anything that was damaging and anything that was unloving. Jesus Christ is about love. So we enter a scene where Jesus sat down in an area of the temple where offerings are given, and he watched the crowd placing money into the temple treasury, and many rich people put in large amounts, But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. And she was considered a non-entity. And Jesus was an advocate for the vulnerable and the helpless. And he was an advocate for those who were not given care or even considered. Those who occupied no one's thoughts. And if we were ever found in the position of a poor widow... There's a genuine reason to fear because you could starve and you couldn't die without anyone even noticing. And Jesus watched as she placed all she had into the temple treasury and he said to his disciples, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth and she out of her poverty put in all she had to live in. And he had just taught that the religious leaders would be punished severely. He's making a contrast. The widow would be rewarded in every way imaginable in the life to come. Not because she did a good thing, because then we're just trapped back in the work cycle. But because she loved God so much that she gave sacrificially. And she did not know the full story yet. That the sacrificial love would be carried out to the fullest extent on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what does this say to us? It says sacrificial giving and contribution are not the same thing. And the one way we claim the kingdom of God in our lives is to be outrageous in our sacrifice for him. It's not the way of the world, but it's the way of our Lord. Who lavishly pours out his love upon us. I have a real problem with Susie Orman, the queen of money rules, the one who can tell us how to do it right uh, with whatever funds we may or may not have. And please believe me, it's not that I have a problem with good money management. The older I get, the more important it seems. What's problematic is this. There's a right way and there's a wrong way and you better not goof up or you will pay. And this account of the widow, think of her compared to like Susie Orman, (laughs) defies human logic and everything we are taught. The account of the widow isn't about common sense. And we think about this, and we become concerned about this widow. What's going to happen to her? She gave away everything. But is this account of the widow really about money? Not necessarily. It's about the kingdom of God and its sacrificial nature. Our belief, our commitment to God, to Christ, solidifies with sacrifice it's got to cost us something too. And that is about as opposite from what the culture will tell you as you can get. Believing in Christ costs. And we know this even in an earthly sense because we sacrifice for the ones we love all the time. You do do that. I know you. And people sacrifice for this country in military service all the time. When we sacrifice for Christ what is most precious to us, what we fear losing the most, and for the widow, of course, it was fear of poverty unto death. When we relinquish control of those things that we believe we need to control the most and give it to God, but it's not just letting go and giving, it's giving it to God for His purposes. There is a lock, a permanent connection that is just made. When I was in my 20s, I remember praying the prayer to God, I can't do it anymore, take my life. I had just hit rock bottom in so many ways. And it's a prayer that I actually thought I only had to offer once because once I prayed that prayer, it's like my life had, it took on a life of its own. But guess what? What? We need to regularly jump off a cliff, the sacrificial cliff for God. We need to do that for our own spiritual development and so we can understand truly what the love of Christ is all about. When eternity becomes our complete reality, we will know a God whose promises have been made real and we will be shocked about who is in heaven. <laughs> we will be And we will be overjoyed to discover that grace won, that grace won out, and that sacrifice is needed no longer. Let us pray. Lord, you love us so much that you will not allow us to stay the same, yet you love us exactly the way we are. We thank you for what you have done in Christ Jesus and make him as real to us as we possibly can stand because we need all of Christ. We need him. Thank you in Jesus name. Amen.